0: And that was Virgin Lady Luck by Brooks Nielsen off of his first solo record, One Match Left. Brooks was the singer for The Growlers, who I'm a really big fan of. And we were just kind of talking before we started up today about about the song Virgin Lady Luck. That was the first song that I heard off of his new solo album. He was with The Growlers for a super long time. And I think he's one of the, the greatest lyricists of his generation. You know, I would put him up there with Alex Turner or Brandon Flowers or any people like that. Um, and I always really loved the Growlers. I discovered them back in 2016 because Julian from The Strokes had produced an album from them for them called City Club. And that be kind of began my love affair with them. Um, and their music is just, um, the, the lyrics in particular are just super crypt, cryptic. And they have also kind of reminded me of an East Nashville DIY kind of work, like working class uh, kind of band. Um, but yeah, and by the way, I should mention, Danny Shaw from Eat Sleep Rock is here today. So hey, Danny, hey. Thanks, for, uh, thanks for joining again. Thanks
1: for having me. Um, but yeah, what did you think of the song? I thought it was great. I really liked it um, lyrically, really good. Um, uh, what I liked, I like I mentioned to you, I only listened to the uh, title track aside from it. But I do know some Growler songs, and I've heard Growlers. What I liked about it was in the verses in the beginning. It's not that like overly reverby. Kind of that's very common in that like genre of music. Um, you can actually hear his voice as it truly is, and I thought that was really cool. He um, has a
0: great voice.
1: He does have. That's what I'm saying. Is it's a lot very of times, unique. well, a lot of times in those songs, there's so much reverb and so much room that you can't really tell that much. Yeah, and um, I really appreciated that you get. like a good, true sense of what his voice sounds like in that song, in the verses. Now, in the chorus, you can tell they add some effects and everything, which works well. But but that was something that I noticed. I was like... And also, the other thing is, you don't get a lot of, like, really good, deep voices in that genre very often. And I was impressed by... I, I just feel like in, like any type of rock it's always better to be higher and i'm always impressed when i can hear someone sing very well at low like jim morrison exactly yes Yes. and he was very lyrical too so it fits right it ties right in
0: yeah i feel like most of the time when singers do have um like male rock
1: singers have a lower voice they usually are more lyrical yeah i could see that for sure um I also, again, um, saying that I haven't listened to much of him. I was listening to it, and I couldn't help but thinking in my head, like, this guy probably loved Bob Dylan, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if I'm completely off base there, but. I wouldn't be surprised
0: if he did either. I'm not sure if if he did or not. uh, Like, he's from California, um, but he's definitely a very, like, lyric-heavy artist. Yeah, like some of the greatest lyrics like he has this one song called when you were made and it's all like about uh, a couple that has been together for a long time and they're just they have kids and all of that and they're just kind of together. You know what I mean? And like the lyrics of the song, it's describing like the ins and outs of a relationship, how this couple is aging and it's very heartbreaking because it just sounds like they're stuck together due to circumstance and I feel like that's a very working class mentality, too. Because when you're you know. poor, like, you want to get divorced, but you have to stay together because it's not maybe financially possible. You it's know considered I mean? noble to yeah. stay together, right? Exactly, stay together for the kids. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, and I, I, that's one of the reasons I, I love the Growlers, and I love Brooks in particular, is I just feel like his, his music, it's very working class. I felt like he grew up maybe like in similar circumstances, like dad who worked just that kind of shit, tried to instill
1: something, you know, um, some of it stuck probably. Yeah, probably. I, and what I thought was interesting is that in this song in particular, he's like making the religious comparison to luck, but I don't know. Maybe I didn't listen to it deep enough. I'm. I'll be honest. For someone who is a big music fanatic, I often miss lyrical things. Sometimes it takes me four or five times to catch meanings. But what I, at least the way I interpreted it, what I thought was how I interpreted it was that um, he wasn't necessarily criticizing religion, but he was making the religious comparison um to criticize luck
0: yes interesting you said that because I think there's this this pseudo um religion today that's happening which is uh spirituality which I think spirituality is okay I like some things from spirituality but overall I feel like people have adapted it as a religion um it's, it's like we've talked about in the past with the, uh, what is it, um, the, when you're uh, your horoscopes and shit like that. Oh,
1: like girls who say they're not religious, but they're spiritual. Yeah. Oh, I love those girls. super into horoscopes. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, and they'll, they'll like mock religious people, yet they'll be like, yeah, it's yeah. because the moon's in the stars. That those high. are the ones you take home to mom. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so um, there's one other song I really loved on the album, Rock and Roll with All of You. The whole record is great. I'm super excited for Brooks. He's kicking off his solo career. Things um, things seem to be going well. He's, he's a real DIY guy. I'm, I'm very excited for him. Um, but the whole record is kind of a reflection, it seems like, on death and rebirth and cancel culture and... Um, kind of dealing with with coming out of that so i I really am excited and i hope he comes on tour here to nashville right now he has a limited edition two lp uh record coming out because it's a double record there's 20 songs on the album which i think this is the longest thing he's ever released wow and it's on like heavy vinyl like 180 gram like the good stuff oh that's so cool Because I've I've gotten records before of of newer artists and it's on that flimsy shit that just scratches up and breaks easy. But if you take care of your vinyl, like those particular kind last for a while. He's also got some tour dates uh, that I can pull up right here. He's already sold out several shows. Um, One of the things that they did for a while is they had this festival called Beach Goth that they would hold every single year. Because that was like the Growler's. Uh, like uh, genres, beach goth.
1: Okay, which I I loved. I was, I was as I was listening to it, I was like, I don't know necessarily what to call it.
0: Yeah, and it's a great juxtaposition because it sounds happy, but it sounds sad at the same time.
1: Yeah, no, and you can tell the lyrics are not necessarily happy.
0: No, the lyrics at all. <laughs> aren't. Yeah, uh, June twenty fifth in Ventura, California, at the Ventura Music Hall. That is on sale. He has a couple of sold-out dates in Los Angeles, but he does still have two Roxy shows available, one on June 29th and one on July 1st uh, in Los Angeles, and then August 12th, uh, Santa Ana, California, at the Observatory. That's on sale now as well. So go check that out. Go to uh, BrooksNielsen.com and uh, get T-shirts, whatever you can. uh, Support a great artist. So go check that out. Danny, you recently bought Eat Sleep Rock. I did. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: It feels great. It's been a long time coming. It has, definitely. And I just want to say that I have a lot of love for Tara, the creator of Eat Sleep Rock Nashville. We were business partners for over a year. Um, We're still friends. It It didn't end on a bad note. In fact, we still text very often, um, about just some of the ins and outs of the business. Cause it, this is still fresh. So I would consider this a true transition period. And, uh, and so I don't mind hitting her up about things and she doesn't mind answering any questions that I have. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's honestly pretty great. Um, it feels good to definitely have the business to myself, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's good to be able to ask the person who created it. Um, oh yeah. Questions. For, for, if for I, guidance if I need help. And yeah. Help and all of that. Yeah. No. I mean, cause
0: I had remembered, like, of course you do, you did the house shows for a while and then you started getting involved in Eat Sleep Rock and uh, putting on shows that way, which Norfleet and Busted Mustard played a show for you. Just last month, yeah. yeah. At the five spot, we got paid. By the way, so let let <laughs> the record show. If you if you <laughs> if you play for Danny, you'll get paid.
1: Yeah, I Hopefully. do. I do as my best. As long as you as long as you bring uh, <laughs> as long as, as people, long as people show, show up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's the key. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I wanna. I mean, I haven't had enough time to really implement the changes that I want to implement yet. But um, I'm working on it. It, these kinds of things do take time but it's a great feeling to just know that I can really push things in the direction that I want to push them in.
0: Yeah, I mean, patience is truly a virtue
1: and it's one that I'm personally not good at, but you you seem more patient than I am. Uh, it is a uh, it is something that has to be learned over time, I feel like. I'm. I feel like I'm good at putting on a um, you know, a persona that I'm good at being patient, yeah. but I'm inside it's killing me.
0: <laughs> no, I, I remember when you just like when we first really started hanging out, you had mentioned um that you you're one of your long-term goals was to buy Eat Sleep Rock. Yeah. And that you wanted to to run it. And I thought it was a great idea right away because you're definitely like in our scene, the East Nashville scene, you're the most business savvy person that I know.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I want to really start, you know, pushing merchandise cause I, it's, you know, it's about artists and we want to help artists and we want to be able to, you know, highlight different artists in the scene and, put on shows and do we we really want to serve the music community of course and I say we it's pretty much just me right yeah. now but that w- that will change um but what I think you know any business has to do is they have to be able to function as an actual business and to be honest right now Eat Sleep Rock isn't doing that and I think right now my goal is to just you know give it a shot in the arm that it needs and really get the, the gears moving again. And then once we've got all our bases covered, then, you know, we're going to be able to start doing really cool things. I mean, I was talking to Josh Norfleet earlier and we, and I was saying, he mentioned, he was like, it would be so cool to do like a, you know, like a mini uh, festival, a need sleep rock mini festival. I think it would do really well. And I was like, man, that is definitely something that I've thought about, and it's something I want to do. It's just going to take time. Establish mm. and maintain a cash flow. Exactly. Yeah, that's my long way of saying yeah. you got, I've got to get the, the cash moving. Yeah, for sure. well, there, there's so
0: many different, and we talked about this a ton, um, there's so many different hustles you can take in Nashville, and it seems like you're good at kind of whittling down what it is you want to do. And you're also good at when something is not working out, you're willing to right away just be like, this is not working out. I got to move on to something
1: else. Yeah, it's an, that, that is probably the biggest acquired skill um, yeah. out, ever, in my opinion, because um, so many people get stuck in doing what they want to work um, and they're not willing to face the reality that you know it just might not be the right situation. And I've been that person many times.
0: For sure, and I think we're surrounded by... Being in Nashville, we're surrounded by a lot of artists, so they're very idealistic about the world and what they want their careers to be, which I think it's great to be idealistic about creating and being artistic. Yes. But you have to be realistic. You, You have to separate the two. You have to separate your artist hat and your business hat. They're really... Different times that you have to utilize both. Because, like, when you're in the act of creating, you just have to be a creator. You can't think of anything else.
1: Right. You have to let the work be the work. But I think that's just what makes it so hard for artists is because, um, and I think we've talked about this before, that in order to be an artist or at least have some level of success in an artist, you have to. I mean, I mean, I don't really know how else to say it, but you have to be willing to lie to yourself a little bit. Yeah, you um, do. And I think that some of the best artists may not have the best grasp on reality. I think that might be what makes them great Good. artists, yeah. you know? But the other side of that is they're living in a world that is not often reality, you know? And when it comes to business, it takes a lot of, you know, being in touch with reality and logic, and being able to accept things exactly the way that they are, and I think that's part of why artists get a bad um, reputation for not being good at business. Is because it's not that they're incapable of doing it. It's just they're living in this headspace that is not looking at the facts for what they are. Because arts uh, uh, art isn't about facts It's about feelings yes exactly and about thoughts yeah and not to say that those can't work together they absolutely can um i think you know feelings are instincts and i think a lot of artists have great instincts a lot of artists that you and i both know have great instincts but you can't rely completely on instincts no um that's when you get in dangerous territory i think
0: well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. <laughs> I know exactly who you're doing. <laughs> he knows too. Of course I love Dustin, but um yeah, no, it, like that thing of being instinctual. I think a, a, a lot of artists that are you have to follow whatever those creative impulses are to get you from one point to the next and you really have to go off in your own world when you create. But it's your own world and also reality they collide with each other cuz they just don't mesh cuz it, it like I think for me the kind of music that I I make and what I try and do I am I'm I'm making an idealistic version of the world that I want to live in which is constantly like every song I try and make is like a gunfight to a Quentin Tarantino movie <laughs> Like, that's just what's in my head, you know what I mean? It's not necessarily that I want to see gunfights everywhere. Right. But it's that you see this world in this certain, you see the world in a certain way, and it's hard when you have to know, like, you have to detach a little bit and know what the difference is between the world that you create that you wish it was versus what the world actually is.
1: Yeah, and I think that, It's often hard to make that distinction, especially when you're, you know, trying to get in that creative space and and, uh, you know, create uh, essentially what will be entertainment to people.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, it's like we were talking about Brooks at the beginning of the episode. I feel like the growlers, like what they always did well was that they were they did everything on their own terms and Brooks will definitely operate the same way. Um, cause now if you're any kind of indie, like I use indie rock as such a blanket term cause it's really, right. it's really anybody who plays instruments. Yeah, It's
1: like pop. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean what it was supposed to mean yes. initially. I get you.
0: Um, cause even like major label bands are called indie rock. Right. Um, but if you're any kind of like artist where you're playing in some kind of traditional setting other than. What is prevalent today on the radio you you do have to kind of take charge of everything It's like these books you were reading uh this book that I just got the other day where it's like it says cyber PR for musicians It's just like I have to get that I have to know what it it says because there's no nobody that's going to come along and do it for me
1: yeah that's so true i I told you right before the episode like I want to. Once yeah. you're done with it, I'm going to... That's the one you were drawn to, yeah. too. Yeah, no, I mean, they all look good, but that was the one. And also, PR is one of those things. When I see it, I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, you <laughs> went to,
0: to college for PR, right? Yeah, that
1: was my major. What was that like? I mean, to be honest, the low-level stuff is, like, kind of obvious bullshit. Um, you know, they teach you... They think that everyone's going to go get a job at a PR firm and that you're going to be you know, working on these big PR campaigns where you're, you know, like I had a a class that was pretty much all about like learning Adobe InDesign. Um, which I'm not hating on, you know, if you use InDesign, great. Adobe is great. There's What kind of program is it? It's uh it's similar to um I I'm actually not I pretty much mostly just use Photoshop and um what's the video one? Um Premiere. Premier. So I'm not um, completely up on all my Adobe stuff, but I, it's similar to Illustrator, but it's more tailored to um, creating like physical, um, like pamphlets, and um, it, it's meant to create like um, like physical advertisements and PR tools, basically, is the way I understand it. So, um, but it's very similar to Illustrator, um, but you can create like pamphlets and brochures and things like that and um now I will say there was value in learning proper design etiquette cuz like I remember before uh I took that course I was like mixing fonts and you know colors and stuff like that and I I did learn that you know especially and we were just talking about well we kind of brushed over the importance of you know like social media and stuff but um PR plays a huge role into how you can, like, manage a social media account or multiple social media, uh, media accounts. And I think that, you know, having a brand, everything is important from, you know, what fonts you use, the colors that you use, um, the background of the photo that you choose to use. All of those things play a role. And I was never thinking like that before I took um, a course like that and it it really taught me how you know like colors and style and all that stuff play a role in defining a brand and so that was really cool but then i had really cool classes like um i had a crisis pr class and that really i was so into that cuz i loved arguing in general and so we used to do these exercises where um, and it w- what was so cool is it was right around the time that uh, – shout out to Megan Barry um, – when all the Megan Berry scandal oh, – yeah. I was in that class when the Megan Berry scandal was happening. So and, we should say first what the Megan Berry scandal was. You can if you'd she like. She was the
0: mayor of Nashville. <laughs> yep. And she got busted for having an, uh, an affair with her head of security. Head of security, exactly. And uh, they were basically
1: taking trips to, like – Rome on taxpayer yep. dollars. Yes, it was a. It became a taxpayer money issue.
0: Yeah, correct. Which she shouldn't have done that, but the human being part of me, like I can't remember if it was before or after, but her son had passed from like uh, an overdose mm-hmm. and all of that. So we I imagine you know when things like that happened before and after your life is in it plays shamb- a role. Shambles, for sure. yes. But she was also an elected official, yes, and we she was we're supposed to hold them to a higher standard,
1: yeah, so um but yes, that's exactly what happened, and um, she did end up resigning and um, but I was taking that class when all that was going on, and I remember one of the exercises that we had to do was um, you know they would pick a handful of us, and they were like, maybe. Three to five minute exercises where my professor would would tell the whole class to write the hardest questions that you would that you could think of that you would ask uh, Megan. How Barry's. big was
2: this dude? <laughs>
1: right, yeah. Um, uh, her press secretary. So like, what are the hardest questions that you would ask her press secretary? Now, of course, on like the local level, she's answering most of her own questions. But just for an exercise, we're like, okay, if she, you know, if she's having her press secretary come up. What are the questions that the reporters are asking them, and um, and so then he would hand select some of us to go up and be her press secretary, and then the rest of the class was the media, and so we would literally go up on the podium in a large you know classroom uh, or a lecture hall, and you would have to play the role as Megan Barry's press secretary and you had the rest of your class. And the thing was, is this was like halfway through the semester. So we were all like, like determined to be dicks to each other and ask like the hardest questions yeah. because we had already learned the fundamental. This is like a, an upper level so PR you class. you get to
0: flex a little bit. Exactly. Everybody well, everybody was wanting to flex. Yeah,
1: well, so yeah, it was either like the goal of the classmates sitting down was to get you to trip up. And if you were up on the podium, your goal was to be like, collected. you know, exactly, collected and just what we deflect. call it. Yeah, what we call it in PR is blocking and bridging. So, what you do is, what, like what you just said, you deflect a question and then you say what you're going to do and you stay on message. So, if someone asks you like a direct question, like, are you going to take responsibility for this? You say something along the lines of, um, we acknowledge that this is something that happened and we, um, you know, and we, you know, and it's something that shouldn't have happened, but this is what we're going to do. And so you block the, you know, the question that could potentially get you to admit guilt and then you stay on message, you bridge to your message. That's a PR technique. And Trump was great at
0: that. That was like his specialty where he would be like, uh, he basically said, "Never ever apologize."
1: That is a that is a literal PR rule. Yeah, absolutely. You should not because it's apologize. all about
0: the court of public opinion. Like at
1: the end of the day, like humanity, we are a mob. Yeah, well, in the court of public opinion is uh, like arguably the most important court that there is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would almost. I mean, I'm a PR student, of course, but um, I would argue that that's. That's true, you know? So what ended up happening in the class? We're, did you uh, get to be the uh, the press secretary? I did. Uh, not in the Meghan Berry case. So we also did a mock-up of the United Airlines uh, oh, yeah. thing, which uh, I can briefly tell that that. I think most people probably know, but that was when that guy got dragged off a United flight, which, oddly enough, he didn't get dragged off by United employees. It was, I believe airport security why did he get dragged off the flight um he was i believe he was asked to move and he by the air like he got his seat got reassigned and he didn't want to move and they were pretty much like well your seat got reassigned you're moving and he was like i don't want to move this is where my seat was it was kind of over something silly but um man of principle yeah he was um but it didn't work out for him but it really didn't work out for united airlines well i bet he got fucking paid from that if i remember correctly he did i think they settled outside of court if i i could be wrong on that might have to fact check that later but i'm pretty sure they ended up settling outside of court
0: yeah well it's just like with anything like that like as especially today there's video to go along with whatever the scandal is. Yeah. So like, it might even be that that was probably what like I'm just guessing like a two minute video or yeah, some shit if like that. that. Yeah, if that. And um, something like that goes viral, and it's all it's seen is it's on a United plane, even if it was airport
1: security. Right. Yeah. No, it didn't matter. Well, it, exactly. It happened on their plane, and the initial. Um, issue was due to a company decision, and they were the ones who decided to press the issue and get security involved. So, I'm not saying that they're not without fault, they absolutely are. Um, I just think it's kind of funny that because um, there were like you know parody videos of like United employees like beating the shit out of their customers and stuff. I think SNL did a thing about it too. And it's like, shut the fuck up and sit in your seat or we'll kick your ass or something like that. And that's just fast food workers now. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, uh, but it's funny because like, that's how it's perceived regardless of whether that's the case. And that's PR too, is it's all about how it's perceived. It doesn't matter what the actual situation is.
0: Well, that's, I feel like in some way similar to what being, a good lawyer must be like being being a good PR person, because you're really trying to sway people and be like, no, this this wasn't illegal because of this, this and this. Right. Or this didn't happen because of this.
1: Yeah. And it's not about what actually happened. It's about what uh can you prove? It's about you perception. Know? Yeah. Or did they do it without uh reasonable doubt or, um, you know. What what's it? Uh, what do they say? Beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you look at like OJ Simpson. Do you think OJ Simpson allegedly murdered his wife and her oh, lover? I, I for sure think he fucking did it. Yeah. One hundred percent. But he wrote a book that says if I did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but But like he got off, not guilty. But
0: everybody, like it's even a joke today because he goes on Twitter and he will comment like if there's like some violent event or something like that whole comment and people people just troll him in the comments but i feel like he's trolling by even talking about controversial shit
1: i don't know i feel like he's gotten old to where he's like you know you know how old people they just like everything becomes like emotional to i mean not every i'm i'm being i'm generalizing but i they feel like as you get older it's like They'll just say stuff, and but they think that, like, the generation should listen to them because yeah. they're like, oh, I'm old now. I've got wisdom. But people just respond and, like, dude, you're a fucking murderer, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like- well, that's the thing that we
0: need to, uh, I guess, do is use some uh, some nuance there and take, you know, did this person fucking murder someone in cold blood and, like, race their Bronco down the 405 in Los Angeles when... And to evade the police? I believe yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's like in that instance. And what's funny is O.J. did end up going to prison whenever um, it was for like a memorabilia thing.
1: Do you remember that? It was he, in Vegas, it was, actually. Yes, he, they had his memorabilia, and it was technically owned by the casino at that point, if I'm not mistaken, and they had it up for display. And I'm pretty sure he and... Uh, a couple other people went in with guns to try and take it. it oh, I, shit. I could, be, I could have the story wrong on that, but that's how I remember hearing about it. I was pretty young when that – I mean, what was that, 10 years ago now or more?
0: Probably longer than that. I would probably uh, say closer to 15, 20 years okay, ago. Okay,
1: so, I mean, I wasn't even 18 yet. Yeah. Um, so, I, d- I don't know. I could have the story wrong, but – that's what i remember hearing was that he tried to steal back his memorabilia from a casino
0: yeah that's uh that's some wild card shit <laughs> to go in there guns ablazing blazing to try and get your shit back yeah you'd think he'd just let it go the dude got away with murder yeah <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean in our, in our society guilt is perception
1: yeah the truth is he probably needed that because he lost his civil case and was in debt like tens of millions of dollars yes. to the family. Yes. Um yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, oh, the O.J. Simpson thing is is interesting cuz it like when I was a kid I didn't the only thing I really knew about him is that he murdered his wife allegedly and her lover allegedly. But um like, you hear older people talk about it, and they remember OJ, grow, like, growing up, and he was, like, an American, like, folk hero.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of how, um, like, people talk about uh, Caitlyn Jenner, too. Yeah. They're like, yeah, like, she was a hero, yeah. you know, <laughs> at one point, you know? yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, Not to say she isn't, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> old people are, She's like... stunning and brave. Old people talk about her, like, you know, I mean, fuck. Yeah, I mean... I'm like, she did that? No way. We're in this weird alternate
0: reality now. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, O.J. ran for governor of Florida at some point. You
1: know <laughs> what I'm saying? That would be funny. Can he hold office? Not... uh If he... I'm sure what he
0: probably did was a felony in Las Vegas. That's what
1: I was going to say. He's a felon now, for yes, sure. He's a felon now, but before, no, yeah, before he when he allegedly murdered, <laughs> yeah, he would have yeah. been able to get away with
0: it. Um, I've been watching the Obi One show,
1: and dude, I fucking love it. Okay, is, what is what streaming platform is that on Disney Plus? Yeah. You lost me there. You don't, don't, are you <laughs> so are you completely anti Disney? I am actually. Uh, I have just about every other streaming platform besides Disney Plus, and I I've had other people believe it or not. I'm sure everyone knows, but we share. You know, I share with multiple people my streaming platforms. So I share my Netflix with some people, and then they share their Hulu with me. Yeah, but um, yeah i I've been offered. Disney Plus. I have some friends who are like, hey, we'll give you our Disney Plus login. I almost caved uh, a couple weeks ago because Indy and I were up and we were drunk. And I, we were talking about Nicolas Cage and how he always gets shit on. And we were like, dude, there's some fucking good Nicolas Cage movies. Dude.
0: There are some great Nicholas Cage like movies. Like National
1: Treasure. <laughs> National Treasure. They're supposed to be making a third one. Yeah, well, I won't be seeing it because guess what National Treasure is on? Disney. Yes, and I, I was drunk, and in the moment, it was the only – we looked it up, and he was like, dude, it's on Disney+. Plus. And I almost sent a text to my friend and was like, hey, let me get your Disney Plus login. But I backed out last minute. I was like, no, nah, I can't do it. There's no way. Why, why are you anti-Disney? Oh, he's an anti-Semite.
0: What is the or he was? What was the the deal with uh with that with Walt Disney being an anti semite? He
1: openly hated Jews. <laughs> what did he do? You do I like know what he said though, or anything like that? Was there anything uh, in particular? I mean, because I wasn't, you know, I, I I'll be honest, I am not studied up on the particulars of it, but yeah. it was it was not a secret. Yeah, um, you know, I it was definitely not like a. Oh, maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. I I don't think he was shy about it. Hold on, um, I want
0: to see if I can find any Walt Disney quotes just to further make this podcast like even yeah. harder to advertise <laughs> on.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there's uh, there's what's crazy is there's like jokes about it too. I know for a fact I've there's like them, a, there's about like about a fam- like family. Guy. I was gonna say I know there's Family Guy episodes where they talk about it, um, and. Uh, Yeah, I just, um, I think it's very funny, especially with cancel culture. I was, you know what? I I can't take credit for this. I was watching a Bill Burr uh, stand-up special where he was talking about how only people alive are getting canceled. Where, I mean, obviously you can't like cancel someone who's dead, but it's still perfectly acceptable to you know, listen or watch or be involved in someone's stuff if they're dead. Um, and Bill Burr, his twist on it is like, really what they're getting canceled for is being alive too long. That's like his whole joke.
0: Yeah, um, no, that's very
1: true. <laughs> but but he brings that up. He's like, uh, I don't remember exactly who he's talking about, but I guess my example would be like, you know, God forbid we watch a movie with Kevin Spacey in it, but, you know, it's okay to... You know, be a a Disney fan and, you know, say that you go to Disney World every year and, you know, I mean, they are Disney has its own crazy fucking fan base. And if you like Disney, okay, whatever. That's great. Disney adults are weird as fuck. That's what I'm getting at is like people who are adults and are still crazy about Disney. I'm just like, I don't know. I I can't get on board with it. I don't I think it's kind of weird i'm look, I'm looking this up, and I'm not finding
0: any evidence of like quotes, but I'm seeing a lot of stuff about, oh, by the way, Walt Disney wasn't an anti-Semite, but
1: Disney owns the world now. Wait, it says that he wasn't.:
0: Yeah, it's like nine conspiracy theories about Disney that have been proven false. Um, no truth in claim that Walt Disney was an anti-Semite um. Fact check. Is that a Disney Plus article? No kidding. (laughs) Dude, seriously though, Disney, like Disney pretty much owns everything now. It's like there's only three or four companies that own shit in like entertainment now for like big shit. So I can't find anything that says, but I've I've heard this multiple times that Walt Disney was an anti-Semite. You gotta you gotta also grade on the curb of like he was back in the Dizzy. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, for
1: sure. And I'm, I'm not, not justifying it. No. And I'm. will admit that I probably have a skewed opinion about it too. Being Jewish, you yes, know. Of <laughs> um. But you know, it's what I've I've uh, always known to be so. Even though Walt Disney might be an anti-Semite, I
0: do love the Obi-Wan show. It's cool to see you and McGregor back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but there's some an- annoying things about it, though. I I won't get too spoilery. I mean, you're not gonna watch it because I will Disney, not. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he um, I don't know. Like, it's in- it's interesting to me to to see this like character, like him play this character again. There's things I didn't like about it. Like, there's Princess Leia, like young Princess Leia, is in it. And she plays a, uh, a wise child, like an all-knowing child. Like, she just mm. came out of the womb, Princess Leia, already. And she uh. just, like, has everybody's number. and You know what I mean? And that shit, wh- wise children don't exist. Like, it is, it is weak writing whenever they use it. Like, use that as a crutch. Oh, like a genius. Yeah. Like, she was born just She's naturally just,
1: gifted. Yeah, naturally gifted. Naturally knows things about life. And there's no child that's like that. I mean, they're few and far between. I would argue that there's there's maybe some, but um, I don't know. I think that's not – I mean, obviously, it's not the majority of people. Yeah.
0: I, I was super stoked for this show, though. Hayden Christensen's also back. He's, like, in the Darth Vader suit. Oh, cool. So I, I've really been enjoying that. Um, dude, I
1: also saw a Top Gun Maverick. You were telling me that. It yeah. is fucking awesome I want to see it I'm gonna see it in theaters. It's sure. worth seeing in theaters go. Do they have it in 40x? Yes. I'm addicted to 40x. Now. Yeah, it's in 40x
0: they have it in IMAX. I just saw it regular but it was awesome dude like this this whole movie it was just like yeah America is badass like that's what it basically was like Tom Cruise fucking incredible like he is truly I don't care if he is a Scientologist. I don't give a fuck.
1: Oh, no. I, uh, look, I think, honestly, Tom Cruise is like, dude, he does all of his own stunts. He's a fucking badass. Yeah. Like, you can't hate on a guy like that. Yeah. He's, I he's
0: the real fucking deal. I don't know if he did all the flying for the film. I know he did some
1: of the flying for the film, though. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, still, most, most people don't do any of their stunts. Yeah. I have mad respect for that. I do too.
0: Yeah, it was um it was a fun movie. It was interesting to see like the military, like people in the military just portrayed as people like trying to get shit done. You know what I mean? Because I feel like for the past really since nine eleven, um, and even actually before that, uh, with like Vietnam movies, every movie that features any kind of military character, they're either one of two things. That they either have PTSD, or they're a villain. And that's really what most movies show. This was not it. They're like, we're fighter pilots and we're
1: the baddest motherfuckers alive. Yeah, well, you know, it's bad to like the military now. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, but it's definitely worth seeing. Um, I loved Top Gun Maverick. Like, 10 out of 10 film for me. If you're looking for just a fun popcorn movie, uh, to get away from the fucking rising gas prices and just the fact that our president has dementia
1: and just shit like that, this is the movie <laughs> for you. If you're nice. trying to escape life for a little while. <laughs> nice. Sounds like I'll uh, take a little mushies and uh, microdose some mushies and go, uh, go do the 40X thing. It would be worth it, dude. Yeah.
0: Like, I saw it with That's my, my thing. dad. My dad was in the Navy for 20 years, and he was, like, leaning over to me and telling me, Like navy shit during the movie. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. And he um he also said that like the sound for the film was really good. He's like, that's what it actually sounds like to be on an aircraft carrier. And he's like, I started remembering all the smells. Oh, cool. Yeah. So he was just like telling me telling me shit like that. And he's like, I asked him like after the movie got over, was like, did you have a flashback? He's like, yes. Oh wow. Because he was on aircraft carriers and flew uh flew planes and all that so he loved it it brought him oh back. okay and, and in a like good way. way okay yeah. that's
1: good that's good well i'm glad to hear that it was a positive yeah not, not like something that was bringing back bad memories. no yeah. no no bad memories it brought back probably some of the best memories from his life that's cool awesome yeah yeah i'll definitely be seeing it and i will see it in 40x i i'm addicted to that shit i saw the last spider-man in 40x and uh, I'm sold, dude. I, I'll be a fucking poster boy for 40x. I, I haven't I
0: seen a movie in 40x. Do it,
1: 100%. It's worth it.
0: I might. I'm gonna go see this again in theaters, so I might see it in 40x this
1: next time. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm down. I'm there. I I've now seen uh, two movies in 40x. The Spider Man was not the first one. I saw A Quiet Place Two. Oh damn! 40x. That, that was anyway. the first one I ever saw in 40x. And I didn't – the thing was is I wasn't really sure what I was walking into, like I feel like most people, because they – it's not, like, fully advertised as, like, you know, this is a thrill ride. But it is a fucking thrill ride, man. Like, you do not eat a large meal right before you go in. Oh, damn. No, it's, like, the Spider-Man, dude, was a ride, man. Like, I almost fell out of my seat a couple times. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was crazy.
0: Well, it's interesting. Like, if you showed a man from the 1940s that today, like, you took him to go see the new Spider-Man movie. Like Walt Disney? Yeah, like Walt Disney. <laughs> and you put it in 40X, and it's like, you're putting this movie out, by the way. This is your company that's putting this out now. Um, Like, I, I wonder how they would respond. Do you know what I mean? Like, the technology is just getting so immersive. Yeah. And I feel like to a certain degree it kind of had to, especially now that people can can watch all these movies at home and they're going to be on the streaming services, like whether it's Paramount Plus or um, HBO Max or whatever, like yeah. most big movies that come out now, they're going to be on a, a streaming service
1: within like two months. Yeah. Yeah, they'll eventually make it there for sure. Um, But yeah, I... Uh, I'm a big advocate for 40x. I think it's awesome. I think it's fun. Um, something I've been watching recently. I, d- I was curious actually if you've seen it. I'm surprised that not more people have seen it because I've been asking everyone because I'm like, I watch a documentary and then I'm like obsessed with it. Uh, the Cocaine Cowboys. Oh did you, yeah, dude. you did watch it. I know yes. it's not new. I'm usually like several months, if not a year, behind on documentaries. Usually, I, I'm always like, I remember when. Um, what was the last big one that I uh I got obsessed with? It was the one where it was about the uh what was it? It was the lady who was like taking drugs from the um like the evidence lab and she was like a drug tester for like police evidence or something like that. Do you do you remember that conspiracy or that um documentary? No, I don't remember it. I can't think of the name of it. It's escaping me right now, but it was on, Net- I think it still is on Netflix, but I remember I could not shut up about it, but I remember everyone, when I finally mentioned it to them, they were like, they're like, dude, that documentary came out like a year ago. And I was like, well, sorry. What did you think of cocaine cowboys? Amazing. I loved it. Did you, I binged it. Did you watch,
0: um, was it the one that was like, uh, that's on Netflix right now where it's like yes. the multiple seasons? Yes. Are the multiple episodes? Yeah. It's six episodes. So, that it's a continuation of a series. There's an original, like, Cocaine Cowboys. I can't remember what it's called. I think there's, like, some subtitle for it. But that one came out probably 10 or more years ago. Really? And it's all about how the drug trade started in Miami. Oh, wow. It's really fucking good, dude. Like, it is crazy. Like, they have statistics in the documentary, like... That there were, like, because it takes place in Miami, of course. Yeah. um, But how uh, Miami has the highest banks per capita of anywhere in the world, and it's to launder, like, it started in the 70s to launder drug money. Wow. Okay. And there was this other thing where they said there was a, a graduating class of police officers in Miami that all of them either ended up dead or in prison. Wow. From... The
1: drug war, yeah,
0: but it's no, it was wild a crazy shit. time,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I I thought it was fascinating that like just the the two guys, uh, Sal Magluta and Willie Falcone, um, were like the two guys who fucking supplied like the majority. They they believe like the majority of cocaine in the United States for like over a decade. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. And they were just like,
0: racing speedboats for fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> doing fucking coke.
0: Yeah, doing coke. Like, they're, have you been to Miami before? I have not. I've been to Florida, but not Miami. So, Florida, I would really consider Florida, the rest of Florida, separate from South Florida. South Florida, Miami in particular, is really like an international city within U.S. borders. So I spent my childhood down there. So I'm very fucking familiar with Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a, a a
1: wild place. Like there's always shit popping off and going on. Yeah. And you've got like a lot of Cubans there because yes. it's so close. And um, a lot know, of Haitians. It, yeah. A lot of uh, different people from like South
0: America. Yeah. Um, also Mexico, Guatemala. It, it's... Like the Latin American capital of of the U.S. Yeah,
1: and it's still kind
0: of the south, though, too. It is. Like, once once you get, uh, like, especially in, like, the panhandle, if you go there, it's just, like, rednecks. Right. But, like, it it's just swampy as fuck. It's hot. You're either super poor or super rich. At least that's the way it feels when you're down there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, it is a baller fucking culture. Like, it's just, like, Lamborghinis everywhere once you go down there. Yeah. I'll have to make my way there at some point, I'm sure. It's worth it. Um, Dude, the the most amount of fake tits you'll ever see in your life is in Miami. I don't know, man. I'm from Vegas. You're from (laughs) – you know what? I'm interested to hear your perspective on Miami after being from – someone from Vegas. Yeah. You have to say? I'm sure
1: that? they're similar in a lot of ways. I'm sure there is too. Because it's, uh, Vegas is obviously a lot of that baller lifestyle too.
0: There's, um, there is one casino there. It, I'm sure there's more than one, but there's one big one. It's the, the, the Hollywood hard rock. So it's uh, in like Hollywood beach. Mm-hmm. It's not far from the beach, but it's, I don't know if you've seen it online, but there's this giant, uh, guitar-shaped hotel. You can see it from miles, dude, away from it. And I've been in the casino a couple of times. Like, I've spent, like, a couple of bucks when I go in. I never, like, spend a lot of money at a casino. I'm just there for, like, the goof, you know,
1: putting a yeah. dollar bill into the machine. Right. Um, but casinos are a real interesting vibe. Now, can you – is it a full casino or is it a gaming hall? Um, it's a full casino. Really?
0: Yeah, so the, there's pool tables, like black, or, uh, blackjack tables, not pool tables. Is
1: it on an Indian reservation? Yes, okay. so it's, uh, the Seminoles own it. Okay. I think they own all of the hard rocks now. Okay, because I do know, being from Vegas, that the only place besides Vegas, or besides Nevada that you can have um, full casinos are on Indian reservations. Yes. In the United States. Yeah. Okay.
0: I wonder how that started, too because that's interesting as fuck if you think about it like because the the government basically gave indians like a bunch like native americans a bunch of like land yes and that's the only place that you can really gamble and casinos the as the old saying goes the house always wins right
1: i think it was their way of reparations yeah i mean really because everyone knows that when you go to a casino like ultimately you're I mean you might get lucky a couple times but ultimately like you're you're there to spend money yeah. you lose money and so that was kind of a way to exclusively give the native americans you know um that you know that right to exploit you know the vice that people have of gambling I believe So when the mafia got involved
0: in Vegas was it was it like a way to hide money for them is that do you do you know any of that
1: uh, i don 't know specifics. I do believe in the beginning there was a lot of money laundering involved with like the original um, Vegas casinos, but i can 't really speak to you know which ones or like if that was largely how they were created in fact i i mean being a a Vegas native I should probably know more but I don't even really know why aside from like what you mentioned with the the mob why Nevada has that pass of being the the one state that's allowed to have gambling because it's not just Vegas you go up to Reno and there's full casinos too yeah you know, I fa- there are, I found there's casinos everywhere
0: something on it. it said Las Vegas in the early 1940s was not an attractive place to do business or live, it was a dirty desert town of rugged, rough residents.
1: Still is, arguably. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, travelers taking U.S. Highway 91 cut right through the city on their way to California. It was not a place for stopping over, until New York City organized crime bosses Meyer Lansky and Frank Costello sent well-known gangsters Bugsy Siegel to sent well-known gangster Bugsy Siegel to Vegas. Siegel's mission was to see if Vegas would make a great gambling spot for West Coast gamblers. Nevada had legalized gambling in 1931, but no one paid much, much attention except local cowboys, blah, 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 blah. Um, With Siegel's imagination and organizational skills and the Mafia's money, the first gambling palace in Las Vegas opened December 26, 1946. Interesting. So that was post-World War II. Um, The Desert Inn, the Thunderbird, built along
1: with Flamingo. I don't know. So the mob didn't even have anything to do with it becoming legal. Nevada had already done that. They just...
0: Capitalized. Yeah, they
1: just capitalized on the opportunity. That's actually something I didn't know either. That's cool.
0: I read this great book that had um, one one of the characters... I mean, it was it was it's a historical nonfiction, but it read like fiction. It's this book called Havana Nocturne by this guy TJ English, mm-hmm. and it's all about the Italian Ameri- American Mafia wanting to basically take Cuba over and make it their own country. Wow! Uh, to do business out of. Because it was close to the U.S. It was right off the coast of Miami, 90 miles away. And, um, yeah, but the whole thing plays out. And eventually, like the mafia moving in and, uh, like, taking over these casinos in Cuba triggered the rise of Fidel Castro. And there was all this guerrilla warfare that was uh, happening. Yeah. But it's, it's a great fucking book because it, it pl- like, plays out, you know, into the rise of Fidel and, like, the fall of the mafia. Ooh, I'd love to read that, actually. Yeah, it's really fucking good. The other interesting thing, like, right right in the beginning of the book, it talks about, too, how um, the FBI teamed up with the mafia during World War II, and they went to them to find out, like, to the docks down on the waterfront in New York City, what was going on, if they heard anything about any Nazis coming through, because there was Nazis that were bringing, like, submarines in and spies and shit. And the, basically the mafia gave gave the American government information, and they were able to use that information to help them, like, win the war. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so um, – and there was – a I can't remember what the guy's name, but it was Meyer Lansky's partner. And um, he had negotiated, basically, with the mafia for a reduced prison sentence – uh, and they let him out, but they sent him back to Sicily, which didn't do him any good. But it it's right. a whole thing, dude.
1: It's fascinating. I would we'll have to check it out yeah. for sure. Yeah, I love history. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Havana nocturne. Yeah, I think if uh there was more money in it, I might have been a, a historian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think there's much money in it. No, not at all. I was interested in it in high school, but I, I was too. Yeah. It was one of the only subjects I was good at, honestly. Yeah, I was in an AP history class my junior year in high school, and I I loved it. It was was awesome. Were you a good student in school? I was, um, but I used that as a justification for doing bad things. Like what? What did you do? Like selling drugs.
0: You sold drugs in high school? I was
1: arrested. Uh, It was literally, let's see. Actually, it was about my junior year when I started cleaning up, I, you're going to laugh. I, and I'm, it's funny that I'm telling this story, but it's fine. I don't care. Um, on, you know how, like during finals week, you usually get, um, like one full day on a Monday. At least this is how they did it back, you know, when I was in school, but like you have the weekend and then Monday you come back to school. I, or wait, is that how they do it? They have the weekend, and then you come back to school. You get a full Monday, and then you start finals. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Do you have like a full Monday off, or is it a full Monday of normal classes? Of normal classes, it's okay. like a stu- it's like study day. I think is okay. what they called it. Is did they do it that way at your school? No. Okay. Well, at least at my school, that's how they did it. They so. did have
0: like half days.
1: Yeah. So the the um the actual testing days were half days, but like Monday was always study day. So it was like. You get Friday, I mean, it's like normal school, and then Friday is the last day of normal school, and then Monday is study day, and then you've got a week full of finals after that. So I got arrested for selling weed in the park near my middle school while I was in high school, so it wasn't at my high school, but there was a middle school that I used to attend, that was near my house. Was it in the and, school zone? Uh, the school zone of um, the middle. middle school. Yes. And that's what's going to lead me to um, my charges. Um, and when I got arrested, they they actually tried to charge me with four felonies. Um, and I was it was the it was the end of my sophomore year in high school. And I got caught. And it was that Friday before finals. What sucks about getting arrested that I learned that day on a Friday is that you don't get a court date until Monday. So even though I was only, let's see, if I was a sophomore in high school, I was maybe 16, um, I had to sit in jail all weekend. And so, um, yeah, I had to sit in juvie all weekend and uh, I didn't get a court date till Monday, and now luckily they did let me off, but they put me on house arrest. So I had to take my uh, sophomore finals with an ankle bracelet on.
0: Oh God!
1: And uh, in class, and it was extremely embarrassing. And uh, and then I got to spend my first, I want to say month to a month and a half of summer uh, on house arrest. How did you get busted? Like, how did it go down? Um, So I was doing it for a while, and what ended up happening was one of my classmates that I sold to, he um, rode a moped. Now, they were, I think, already kind of watching me because I had already almost gotten caught in that same park before. Super smart teenager. Um, On another night, probably like a month or two before, but this was during the day, and so I couldn't sell out of my house because my, my dad was home, and so I would go to the park. And what I would do, um, shout out to my high school girlfriend, I would uh, keep all my shit in her trunk because she had the better car at the time. And so we would just all be hanging out at the park, like throwing a football. And then I'd have one of our like have my buyer come up, uh, high school friend, who would want a bag. And then I would go to my girlfriend's trunk. I would get the stuff, make the deal, and then go back. Was this in like daylight? Yes, in daylight. Damn, at a park, um, in a school zone. Yes, the, a park right across. That was one of the felonies. Was because I was, uh, you know, committing a crime uh, within. I think it was like hundred yards of a school or something along those lines or I don't know exactly how they use the parameters for that, but it was one of the felonies was that it was so close to a school. And um, and so what happened was the uh, the kid who was picking up from me, when he left on his moped, he didn't signal when he was making a turn. And I think at that point they had already known. I think they had already gotten like pictures of the deal or something. I never saw that, but they – I mean – To get pulled over for not signaling on a moped is, like, a pretty specific thing. Um, But they pretty much pulled him over, and they apparently already knew who I was and were like, hey, um, you know, we already know you have weed on you, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, Tell us everything that we need to know. Can you confirm that this is the person that, you know, sold it to you and this and that? And so I was literally on the swing set. We were, like, throwing a football, blah, blah, blah. And then we were chilling. And <laughs> it is so crazy how accurate life is to movies sometimes because a guy wearing a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses and, like, a fisherman's hat comes up to me and is like, hey, um, have you noticed any, um, any, like, drugs, drug activity in the area? And I'm like... Which already sounds like a cop. Yeah, no, and that's what I mean. It's like a typical fucking undercover. You know what I mean? Like, who wears a Hawaiian shirt and a fisherman's hat in Vegas? You know what I mean? And he comes up, and I'm like, no, I can't say I have. And then I look behind me, and there's two other men who are, you know, dressed in, you know, civilian clothes but don't really look like civilians and you we, can
0: always spot a cop. Yeah, you
1: know, and we're, we're ambushed close. and basically we're like we're trying to play it cool and we're like yeah, no, we don't know what you're talking about and they're like that's funny because um yeah, no, we we saw you do this and we I was like the hell you did and they were like yeah, well, we did and so we're going to search you now. And um lucky for me, I didn't actually have anything on me. I was smart enough to know that like, you know, you don't want to have bags of shit on you. Um, but ultimately what ended up happening is they separated me and my friends and my girlfriend at the time and they just wore her down to where she was crying and they were like, you're going to fucking go to jail because it's in your car and this and that. And they fucking, they just hammered her until they, honestly, she could have just said no and what, and cause it was in the trunk. They technically couldn't prove it. You without know, a warrant without a warrant um which who's to say whether they could have gotten one fast enough um but they uh they ended up wearing her down, opening the trunk, and yeah, I got arrested when I was sixteen, and like i said i I got um put on house arrest, and um now ultimately, it did end up going away. They sealed my record um I completed probation and all that stuff, but I mean it was pretty serious at the time. It was it was legitimately four felonies that I was facing at sixteen. Um and so you best believe <laughs> when I came back junior year I took all the AP classes and all the honors classes and I was I was a fucking I was a nerd for school at that point. I was like, yeah, I I turned my shit around. I still smoked though. I was like not during wrestling season because I, I wrestled all through high school, but I, I became a disciplined quote unquote disciplined smoker. I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm still gonna smoke weed. I'm not gonna sell it, but uh, but I'm not gonna do it during wrestling season. So what ended up happening? Like, did was your entire summer just ruined because of that? Uh, for the most part, I mean, yeah, because I, I even after I was taken off house arrest. I was on probation, um, like random drug tests, had to check in with my probation officer, um, all that good stuff for a while. Uh, I think it was, I don't remember if that, not to go too much into my uh, criminal history, but this isn't the only time that I've been on probation. So the specifics of this probationary period are a little fuzzy being that I was 16. Yeah. Um... But I know that I was clean for a really long time. I didn't smoke any weed or anything. And, um, yeah, I ultimately completed everything, and they sealed my – I think what happened was I did a deal to where if I completed probation successfully – they, in Nevada, they have this thing called a gross misdemeanor. And I believe it is specific to Nevada, where it's, like, basically in between a misdemeanor and a felony. It's, like, worse than your average misdemeanor, but it's, like, not bad enough to be a felony. And so the deal was was that if I completed my probation successfully and this and that... Now, here was another um, stipulation was that I had to... I couldn't get in any more trouble until I turned 18. Um, or, yeah, until, for the rest of my, you know, childhood, basically. Otherwise, they could bring up all of my charges again. So, oh, it was, so it was basically, like, complete probation, and then you're still pretty much on probation until you turn 18. And then when you turn 18 you finally get it get everything dropped down um but basically uh but basically I had a gross misdemeanor and I also didn't know this but when you turn 18 your um your juvenile records automatically get sealed my dumb ass I, I mean I wouldn't say that I was dumb because of it but one of the first things that I did because I was like trying to get into college and do all this stuff uh right when I turned 18 I went down to whatever government agency that you have to, like, the courts, basically, to go and get my records sealed. And I remember waiting. This I do remember. I remember, like, waiting for, like, two fucking hours to get to the office and talk to the person I was supposed to talk to. And the lady was like, honey, you're 18. Your, your juvenile records are sealed. And I was like, no, I was told I have to seal them. And they were like, that's if you're an adult. They are like, if you're... If if it happened when you were a juvenile, when you turn eighteen, like you get a fret, like you're an adult now, like you're they're not holding any of that Go shit out against and commit you. All the crimes you are. Yeah, now. fresh slate. Be a drug dealer again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, um, but yeah. So, I but I I did pretty much turn it around after that. Um, like I said, I mean, I did continue to smoke weed, but. I learned a very hard lesson at that point, and uh, I got really into school and sports and, um, like, working out and stuff my junior year, and I was, like, pretty much all about that. Now, what really did help me, um, to be honest, and I'm, I know we've had a lot of conversations about, like, relationships and stuff, but um, one of the biggest things that helped me through all of that was that my girlfriend didn't leave me. During any of that the the one interesting the one that uh well and the thing was is they found it all the stuff in her trunk and I still took the blame like I told them that it was mine because I didn't want you know her to be accountable for it Man it, principle. it was my fault and so she stayed with me and we dated all the way up until I moved to Tennessee And so, um, and honestly, I can say that it made our relationship that much stronger. She used to come visit me and bring me stuff all the time when I was on house arrest. We we were in constant communication. It was probably the first time, actually, I I can tell you this for sure. um, When I was on house arrest was the first time that I ever had told anyone that, like, wasn't my family that I loved them. And I told her that I loved her because she continued to stick around at like probably literally like my lowest point because she could have just dumped you oh yeah easily i probably would have dumped me
0: (laughs) well danny you've come a long way i have you've become a smarter businessman yeah definitely a more legal one yeah (laughs) you know how to not get caught um a total legal one yes for the record (laughs) for the record let the record show uh, what do you have going
1: on with Eat, Sleep, Rock? Is it? Is you have any shows coming up? Is there anything planned? Uh, man, I'm trying to get some stuff on the books right now. Uh, usually I do have shows coming up. We've always got our Kimbrough shows um, first Thursday of every month at Kimbro's Pick and Parlor in Franklin. Um, I'm working on some stuff probably at like the five spots, some East Nashville things in general, um, but I don't have anything else on the books as of right now. Where can people find you at? Uh, you can find anything Eat Sleep Rock related um, on Instagram at Eat Sleep Rock Nashville or our website uh, www.esrnashville.com um, and we take booking inquiries at booking at esrnashville.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> Thank you.